So, as we have all heard about a million times this year, we are living in strange times. I mean, let's just think back over 2020 so far. Um, it has been and it continues to be pretty crazy, right? I mean, it's quite a standalone year. I don't think anyone's going to forget 2020 in a hurry. Um, it started, can you remember back in January with the Australian bushfires? I know. Doesn't that seem like an absolute age ago? And immediately off the back of that, there was the whole USA-North Korea standoff, you know, the threat of World War III. Um, and then obviously COVID hits and the world goes into lockdown. Then at the end of May, the injustices against black people have been brought to the fore. Black Lives Matter start, protests start and continue worldwide. COVID continues, schools are back, but things are locking down a bit more again. I mean, what the heck is 2020, right? And there's still three months left. So here we go. Now, one of the things that we talk about at Gloucester Vineyard Church is that we want everyone to experience and be able to live life to the full. And it just almost seems a bit comical in light of this year, right? I mean, living life to the full. Well, I'm sure as you might be aware, or you could probably deduce because we're a church, that phrase life to the full is actually a phrase that Jesus used. It's a life that he invites us into. Um, he said, I have come that they, we, may have life and have it to the full. Or another version of it says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I mean, sounds great. You had me at life to the full. And so I guess the question is, how on earth is that possible in light of everything that is happening and actually life being lived really limitedly, not fully, full of dissatisfaction and disappointment, not the satisfying life that Jesus alludes to. What is he talking about? How can Jesus possibly give us life to the full now? Now, helpfully, there's a guy in the Bible called Paul. He's kind of a super church planter, Paul, in the early days of the church. And he wrote loads of letters to churches all over the place right in the beginning. And he helps us now by unpacking what Jesus was saying a little bit more and describing what Jesus meant. He wrote a letter to a church in Corinth, which is a city in Greece, and he said this, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. Here it is. He's about to unpack Jesus's life in all its fullness. I'm all ears. He says, let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of the earth, all the languages of the angels, but I didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, if I possessed all knowledge, and even if I had faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave 
everything I had to the poor. If I sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul is being so dramatic here. He's describing all these things, speaking all these languages, being the most intelligent. But he's saying that the best way of life that enables life in all its fullness is not all of these things. Instead, it is a life defined by love. Now, there's an element of that that maybe seems like it's a little bit of a trite thing to say, you know, like it's kind of obvious the world will always need more love, not less. So let's all try and be more loving to everyone around us. Yes, that is what Paul is saying here. That's the best kind of life is a life defined by love. And Jesus agrees too. Soon after Jesus spoke about life in all its fullness, um, he commanded his followers with kind of one simple mission. He said, love each other as I have loved you. Now, it seems pretty straightforward. Love each other. But Jesus's command to love each other suddenly becomes a game changer when you hear the second half of that sentence. He doesn't say we should love each other like a permissive, free-for-all, figure-out-what-it-looks-like-for-you kind of love. He's being really specific. He says, love each other as I have loved you. Okay, specific, I guess. But what on earth does that look like? And Paul super church planter Paul, helpfully continues his little thing about, um, you know, the languages and that sort of thing about life defined by love. And he handily kind of gives us a breakdown of exactly what Jesus love looks like. So here goes, let me know if it sounds good to you. <coughs> Paul starts by saying that love is patient. So it's not pushy and hurrying, it's patient. It finds the pace of another person and adjusts its own pace to accommodate it. Why? Because that's how God loves us. If God hadn't adjusted and accommodated for our human capacity, we would be left in the dust. We wouldn't know a thing about God. But like a good father, he speaks our language and goes at our pace. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. It is doing for others what they can't do in that moment for themselves. It's going above and beyond. Why? Because that's how God loves us. While we are still choosing our own, we're still choosing our own brokenness and the brokenness of this world, in our lifestyle of weakness, he died for us. He loaned us his strength because love is kind. The next thing Paul highlights in his like list of what love looks like is that love is not jealous boastful or proud or rude. 
That means that love, like Jesus kind of love, allows another person to shine. It's being willing to step out of the spotlight, even if you've got reason to step into it. It's love is being able to celebrate or commiserate with other people without adding their own story. Why? You got it. Because that is how God loves us. Jesus was in his very nature God, but he never played the God card to get his own way. He deserved and he earned the spotlight, but he stepped aside. He forewent his privilege and his opportunity to prefer another. And I think this is a really interesting one because how often do we start telling a story and have others jump on it and say, oh yeah, me too, but bigger and better or bigger and worse. Um, And I find myself, if not doing it, then certainly thinking it for sure. I think often, so, so often people be like, oh yeah, I was furloughed for four months. I'm like, well, I had to work, blah, 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 blah. Why does my story have to trump theirs? I like to think that if I was really loving towards people, um, I could hear their story and not immediately compare and contrast it to my own. Not being jealous of their story or boastful of my own. You know, I have small children at home whilst trying to work from home, or I have teenagers who are moody and trying to get to their friends. Uh, I live alone, try that. Well, I, well, I, well, I, well, I. This is not what love looks like. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. You know, What if we choose to love people like Jesus loves us in this current climate at the moment? If we were able to let someone else tell their story without adding our own into the mix or complaining to another friend about how the original person doesn't have it as bad or as good as you. And imagine if everyone did this. Love is not jealous, boastful proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. I think many parents in the room would really love to tell their children this, wouldn't you? Um, I think you'll find that love doesn't demand its own way, so if, uh, if you could just pipe down a little bit, that would be great. It's another way of saying love honours the other person. It puts the needs and the interests of another first. I think so often we see, we experience, maybe we even demonstrate this idea of, I'm not winning in this relationship. But love is not about what we can get. It's all about what we can give. Love values other people above yourself, not because they're more valuable than you are, no, but because that is how God loves us. Jesus loved us so much, he was willing to lay down his life for us. He submitted himself to us. This is what Jesus modelled. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, or as other translations say, it's not easily angered. 
Love doesn't get kind of easily wound up or ticked off because it can listen. You know, it doesn't react, it responds. I um, work part-time as a nurse and in clinic I have patients coming in and out all day and often they bring their entire life with them into that appointment. And so sometimes they can come in and can be incredibly rude and very angry for whatever reason. And I am perfectly within my rights to react to that anger and rudeness, put my foot down and say, excuse me, that's not tolerated here, you need to leave now. Or I could ask questions, I could try and understand what's actually going on and respond to the situation instead of reacting to it. And hey, I might even be able to get what needs doing done. There's a pastor in America called Andy Stanley, um, and I love this little phrase that he says and find it incredibly challenging. He says, love remembers that everyone's behaviour makes perfect sense to them. If it doesn't make sense to you, then you probably don't know something. Love puts the other person's story ahead of their own. It is not irritable. It is not easily angered. I've got a couple more left now, guys. We can do this. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't have like a filing cabinet. Oh, what's a filing cabinet now? Or the Google Drive um, of being like, October 3rd, 12.45, you said and you did. It doesn't have that. Why? Because that is not how God loves us. God doesn't look at us with a clipboard waiting to catch us out so he can add it to his list of grievances against us. Jesus came to deal once and for all with the world's record of wrongs. God hasn't forgotten, he's not a goldfish, but he just doesn't bring it up. God is not there to trip us up. And because of how God loves us, now we get to go and do it for other people. We get to leave that Google Drive behind. We get to let things go. Now, all of this is difficult. None of this is natural, but it's better. It's not easy, but it's just better to forgive and live like you've forgotten. To keep no record of wrongs means that we are free. We're not living, carrying this load with us of all the files of what people have done. And it means that those people can be free and have a chance to move forward rather than be held captive to our record. Because that is what God does for us. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Then Paul comes into land and he says, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, you know, it doesn't undermine the friendship or the relationship, keeps the bad stuff out. Love always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. 
you know, this way of love that Paul describes, all these things, patience, kindness, perseverance, hope, trust, protection, they all require a choice. It's not a feeling or a thought. It's not passive and inactive, like we have no control over it. Love chooses to see the best. It chooses to hope the best. It chooses to believe the best and give a generous explanation for the gaps. Why? Because that is how God loves us. God is patient. God is kind. God is not envious, boastful, proud or rude. God doesn't demand his own way. God is not irritable. He doesn't keep a record of being wronged. God never rejoices in injustice and he always rejoices when truth wins out. God never gives up, never loses faith, always hopes and God endures through every circumstance. So often we recycle the love that we have been shown. It's all we know, right? I've come across so many friends and family who have had rubbish love thrown their way in life. And as a result, they're great people trying their best but recycling bad love. We need to be shown a different way. A different kind of love, a love that doesn't fail because it's human love. We need a Paul's letter to the Corinthians style of love. We need to know and experience the love Jesus shows so that we can start learning to recycle that love to those around us. By following him, the one who loves, we can learn, slowly but surely, we can learn to love others as he has loved us. A life that is best of all is to live a life of love where we give our life to love others. Not in the way that we have been loved, not even in the way that we would like to be loved, but in the way that Jesus loves us. So just before Brett leads us in some sung worship, I just want to encourage us to stand this morning, if you can, to respond to what God is saying to us today. So why don't we all stand for a moment?